Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. This morning, we are starting a brand new series that we're calling, I Will Build uh, My Church. I will build my church, and all throughout the month of May, we're going to be talking about uh, what the church is, why the church is important, and how each of us can personally, individually find our, our place and find our purpose in and through the church. So, um, if you're with me this morning, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles, that is completely all right. You can look at the screens behind me. Also, you have your message notes in front of you. I encourage you guys to fill those out. Take notes today because what you write down, you will retain. And all of our scriptures on there as well. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, going through verse 18, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that was his term for himself, the Son of Man. They said, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. They thought that some people thought that Jesus was the reincarnation of some of these people. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, one of his disciples, answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So there is um, there's this organization called Gallup, and Gallup does polls of different things, or, or you know, throughout time here. And and Gallup's data has found that church membership right now is very strongly correlated also with age. So 66% of Americans that were born before 1946 belong to a church today. 66%. Now that's compared to baby boomers, 58%. And then there was now 50% of Generation X, and we are down to only 36% of millennials are actually engaged in church. I don't even want to get started on Gen Z, because who knows? But, but we can see that that's just, it's declining, and, and the younger that generations are, the less likely that they're going to be active in church. Now, also, the Washington Post says that um, many Christians still attend church but do not consider that membership of a church, being active and a part of a church is very important, especially those that attend non-denominational churches. But no matter how researchers measure these people's faiths, faith such as uh, attendance or giving or uh, self-identification, membership, things like that, America's attachment to institutional religion is on the decline. America's attachment to being involved in a local church is on the decline for the past uh, hundred years. And so when we read this 
um, this story here that Jesus is right there in Caesarea Philippi. He, Jesus is in a much darker culture than we are in today. Believe it or not, Jesus is in a much worse culture than we are in today. In fact, the place that Jesus was actually talking um, about this right here was actually a place that they would take babies and they would sacrifice them to idols and they'd throw them down the river. Um, and it was just, it was a crazy time. It was a much darker time. More issues than you could um, imagine. And so he takes his disciples on this trip. Um, they kind of go out of the way. They go to the, this place that was really the center of darkness at the time, Caesarea Philippi. And along the way, he asked his 12 disciples, he said, what are people saying about me? I'm curious, what, what are people saying? Who are they saying that I am? And, and their answers were kind of similar to what you might expect people you know, to say today to one of your, one of your boys. Well, um, you're a, you're a, they're saying you're a good dude. Uh, they say, you know, you're my, home, you're my homie, you're my homeboy. And, and, but then he turns to them and he asks the question directly. Uh, and this is the center of our conversation throughout this entire series. Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? doesn't matter what they're saying. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter speaks up and he said, you are the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the, you're the one that for thousands of years now, we've been looking forward to you coming. They, they knew, the, the Jewish people knew that they would be looking forward to a, a king that would come onto the earth and that would um, deliver them and save them. And Peter speaks up. He said, you're the Messiah. And this is Jesus' response. And this is our, our key passage for this series right there in verse 18. If you'll flip back to verse 18. Uh, Jesus says this, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. So, so Peter's name used to be Simon. Simon meant little pebble. And then uh, Jesus said, well, now you're, you're Peter. And Peter means rock. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That is good news for us today. But a couple things I want to point out here. First, this rock, the rock that Jesus is talking about here, upon this rock I'll build my church. This rock is this revealed truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised Savior of the world. He's not a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a rabbi. He is God. He is Emmanuel. He is what is uh, the Bible says is God with us. God became flesh. He became man. And this changes everything how you have to look at uh, about Jesus and about the church. In this moment, everything changed. You can't look at Jesus as just a good guy or just a good teacher. In fact, really, if you were to call Jesus just a good guy, you, he would have to be he would have to be classified as a lunatic because some of the things that Jesus said was so groundbreaking, was so confrontational that you couldn't classify Jesus as just a good guy. He was either telling the truth with everything that he said or he was a liar. There is no in-between. And this changed everything. Secondly, the, this, this person of Peter. See, Jesus looked at Peter and, and in Peter's imperfect condition... If you guys read any of your Bible and you read about this guy named Peter, you know he's really not that awesome of a dude. In fact, um, when Jesus was getting taken to the cross, Peter decided he was going to cuss out a little girl right there in the courtyard. Just cussed her right out. I don't know what he said, but, but I'm sure it was if equivalent to the F-bomb. So that's, an, that's a good dude. Just kidding. Not at all. Don't cuss out children at some of you. Thank you. Please. And please don't. 
But Jesus looked at imperfect Peter and he declared this about Peter. He said, on this rock, on you, Peter, I am going to build my church. Now, Peter was this everyday working person. He wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't a theologian. He wasn't a religious elite. He was a fisherman that Jesus said, come and follow me. And fishermen are rough, you know. And and he said, Peter, come and follow me. And Peter made this pronunciation that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And Jesus looked at that Peter, the imperfect, the rough, the messed up Peter, that Peter, and said, I'm going to build my church on this guy. And you know what? That applies to each one of us today as well. That Jesus can still build his church on imperfect people. On that person, that imperfect person, Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus specializes in building his church on imperfect people. Like he prefers imperfect people because we can't steal any of his glory. We can't steal any of the credit. Like he chose Michael Burris because he knew Michael Burris was, was really not perfect and really kind of stupid sometimes and not necessarily super athletic. Um, pity laughs would have been good. Jesus could have chosen anybody, though. He could have chosen the smartest, the most well-educated, the religious elite of the, of the day. But instead, Jesus chose a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, a woman that was possessed with multiple different demons at one point in time. He chose the imperfect, the unpolished person to build his church upon. He said, upon these people, I'm going to build my church. Do you know that... Uh, um, a few years ago, there were some surveys that were taken, and, and it found that the average Christian in America only attends church once every four weeks. That's 13 times per year that the average attendance of, of, a, of an American Christian, once out of every four weeks they're in church. That seems pretty low, right? Until you hit COVID, and those numbers have changed since then. That now, since COVID, new surveys were taken, and now the average Christian American attends church only once every six weeks. Less than nine Sundays per year do people spend in church. And now I'm not condemning anybody that, hey, I get it, life's busy, I get you got things to do. But here's what I know is that the priority of people attending church has decreased throughout the years. Did you guys know that in Estill County... Only 20% of people in Estill County attend church. And you can also, that means 80% of people in Estill County don't attend church. And you can also assume out of that 20% that most of them are probably the average American that would attend church once out of every six weeks or so. The priority of the church has decreased in people's lives. And honestly, I, th- I think we need to own it. I think that the church across America needs to own this one. It's not anybody else's fault. The problem is, um, now don't get me wrong, I love the church, like I have given my life to serve the church. I've been serving in, in the church in ministry now for 14 years. People are my greatest passion, uh, delivering the hope of Jesus to, to people on Sunday mornings is one of my greatest joys, but I think that across America the church has failed over the last 50, 100 years, and here's why. Because I don't think that people, um, I think that people don't prioritize church because they don't understand it. They don't understand what we're here for. And the church has failed because we've not really let them know. 
we just say you go to church because that's what people do on Sundays. But that's not it at all. People don't understand that God's true intention of, of establishing the church. They don't understand where they fit in and how being a part of a church is God's plan for their life. I don't think it's rebellion necessarily. I think it's just ignorance. I think it's not the negative connotation like calling people stupid, but I think it's ignorance. So there's this, uh, there this teacher that wanted to uh, prove that her student was a, sl- a real slacker in class. And so she, uh, she stood up and she called him out and she said, Jack, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? And he stood up and he said, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here all week. But no, I think the biggest issue with people deprioritizing the church is just that they truly don't know what church is about. And so that's what I'm hoping to really address in this series is that people would really grasp a hold of why did God create the church and and why do I have a part to play in it? And what can I do? See, it's become more of a tradition for people. We go to church on Sundays because that's what mama said to do. Or that's because granny said she's going to whip my tail if I didn't. But when we talk about the word church, I want to bring a a couple of things to light, okay? First off, this word church, you will not find it in your Bible, okay? If you can look and look and look, you won't find the, the word church in your Bible any point, okay? So the word church that we use in America... Is actually, it, this isn't a wrong word, but the word church comes from the German word kirch, K-I-R-C-H-E, kirch. And, and, a, and a kirch is defined as a building or as an organized religion. And so Jesus makes this statement here. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. And this word church here... Um, is not actually, it wouldn't be the word church technically. That didn't come in, church didn't come until hundreds and hundreds of years down the road. This is actually what he was speaking. It's a Greek word that was written. Because your Bible, in this portion of your Bible, the New Testament, it was written in Greek because that was the, the, the language of trade throughout the day. So this word that Jesus is talking about here, the word church, is actually the word ecclesia or ecclesia. And and the word ecclesia means um, a gathering of called out uh, of a called out group of people meant for a special purpose. So so notice there that nowhere in that word ecclesia is there anything any mention of a building. That's why we can have church in a fair barn and it's still a church. Because the church is not about the building, the church is about the people. We say it over and over and over. The church is about the people. It's not about where we meet. It's not about our, our great structures. Um, we could meet in an open field. We could meet in, under an overpass. We could meet in a basement. And we did meet in a basement. And we are still the church that Jesus has promised to build. Guys, the church doesn't need a steeple. The church just needs the people. Somebody get on board. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, I was happy when I wrote that. Um, but the church is so much more than a building. In fact, the church today are the hands and the feet of God in this earth. And that's why it's so important. Because we gather here on Sundays in order to be equipped in order to go out there. We can never forget about the people out there. See, it gets comfortable here. We start getting in a groove and it gets comfortable and we forget that there's 
So many people outside of these walls that need to hear the truth of God's word that we're hearing in here. And it's not for us to consume. It's for us to contribute to others. The church is about the people. What happens here on Sundays, very important, but it can't stay here on Sundays. What happens here on Sundays is for you to be equipped so you can go out Mondays through Saturdays and share the truth of God with people. And when we were praying about some of you church, my wife and I, I I was in my prayer time one morning and God spoke this to my heart and really confirmed to me that some of you was not going to be about a building. Uh, God spoke to my heart and he, and he told me that, he said, if you will build my people, I'll build my church. If, you're gonna be, if you'll build my people, I'll take care of the heavy lifting. Because, because Jesus knows that the church is not about the building, the church is about the people. See, as my job, um, it's your, as your pastor, it's, it's to make sure that you guys are equipped to do God's work. And most of God's work happens on Monday through Saturday. Church is not a Sunday thing. Church happens 24-7. You are the church. And so when Jesus makes this statement, he said, On this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. He's saying, I'm going to build a church. He's not saying, I'm going to build a church right here on this rock that we're standing on. No, Jesus is saying, based on your faith in me, I'm going to establish a body of people that will use my power and my authority to overcome all of the powers of hell in this world. You are the church that Jesus promises to build. He says, all my, all, and, the, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. He says, I'll build my church and hell will not overcome it. And so what overcomes these these powers of hell. There's three things that I think we need to we, we need to recognize um, is is a dangerous church. The church that is going to overcome the powers of hell will have these three facets to it. Number one, it's going to be a church that is gathered, a church gathered. Acts chapter two verse verses one through four says this: When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were gathered. They were gathered together in one place. This is after the death of Jesus. And they're waiting because Jesus said, I promise you, I'm going to send somebody back. And they're in, the, they're in this place called the upper room in Jerusalem. And they're waiting. And they're gathered. And they're praying. And it says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what, to be, what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then soon after this, Peter jumps up, right? They all, they all are, are given the good news in different languages and things. And Peter jumps up and he preaches the very first sermon. He preaches the very first message about salvation through the risen Son of God, through Jesus. He'd been killed, but he'd been raised back to life on the third day. And now he gives power in life to men. And so on that day, Peter preached this message. And 3, 000, over 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. And they received the eternal life that Jesus has promised to people. See, there's a power that takes place when we gather together. I, I truly believe that they wouldn't have been able to reach 3,000 people if they weren't gathered in one place. 
There's a, something special happens when we gather. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says, Jesus says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. He says, you need to gather. So many today make this statement. So many people today make this statement. Well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't know if you guys have ever heard it before. I hear it all the time. Hey, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I have my relationship with God. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You don't need to go to a mechanic to be a car. <laughs> but it sure does help you run. You know what I mean? Like you don't, have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but it sure does help. Because God just doesn't want us to have a relationship with Him. He wants us to have a relationship with each other. We're supposed to be able to gather together. See, church should be an essential part of life for the Christian. You can't deprioritize it. That's not optional. A healthy church is where your life is going to begin to flourish. Guys, aren't you tired of just making it through? Aren't you tired of just fighting through life? God's plan for you is to thrive. And being plugged in, being a part, being attached to a, to a, to a healthy church is going to help you to thrive, not just survive. So there's a reason that God calls us to assemble together. And it's not just to steal your sleep on a Sunday morning. He's not punishing you. It isn't just so you can do your religious duty and get it over with. It's not because Granny said to do it. God wants us to gather together because we were created to be with other people. We were created to gather together. That was, it was the first time in the Bible that God said something wasn't good upon creation. He said... All these things for the first five days. Oh, God created it and it was good. God created it and he saw that it was good. God created it and he saw that he was good. And then God made Adam. And he said, wait a second. It's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he created Eve. He created a partnership. He created a community. Each of us are supposed to be engaged in some kind of spiritual community. And so we're trying to build that here at this church. We're pack animals. Like we, we are better together. We can grow. We can be protected. We can have each other's backs. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. God's plan is not for us to gather less as time goes on. God's plan is for us to gather more as time goes on. We need to gather together. You weren't created to do life alone. You need to find people that can build you up, that can hold you up when you're tired. And God's plan is for you to find that in your church community, in your spiritual family. It's more important than people give it credit for. <coughs> One of the most underrated things that you should commit yourself to is to be someone that gathers in church. To be a church that, that, that gathers together. Because a church that gathers together is terrifying to the spiritual enemies that come against us. We need to be a church gathered. Number two, we need to be a church united. A church united. There's no greater force. 
than when a group of people gather under one mission, under one banner. If you look at all of things that have changed culture, that have changed civilization throughout the years, you look at um, slavery was abolished in America, um, apartheid happened in South Africa, equality, women's rights, the list goes on and on and on. All of it happened because a group of people united on one front. The same is true for the church. A united church is an unstoppable church. There's a story in the book of Genesis that's really early on. It's in Genesis chapter 11. And so everybody early on in the world spoke one language. They're all speaking the same thing. I don't know what it was. Um, Probably wasn't English, but I guess this is a stupid language. Just ask any teacher. Everyone in the world spoke one language and all the people on the earth spoke the same thing. And they were united in that. And so everybody migrated east and they came together with this goal to build this large city with a tower that would reach to heaven. And then God noticed what they were doing. He said, whoa, wait a second. And in Genesis chapter 11 verse 6 he says, look, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this... Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And so God had to confuse their languages. God had to change all of their languages in order to stop them from accomplishing their mission because people that were united in their language, in their mission, there was nothing that would be impossible for them. And God had to take extreme measures. (coughs) Can you imagine the potential of a church that all has the same heart, that are focused on the same mission, that they all have the same values? The limitations for what God could do and would be able to do through that group of people wouldn't exist. And all throughout history, people united under these great causes, and there's so many worthy causes out there, but none of those causes compares to what we've been called to as the church. People's eternities are hinging on us uniting under the cause of Christ to reach the lost, to build those that we reach, and then to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the greatest cause on planet Earth. And if we would unite under it, there's nothing that would be able to stop us. A church that is united is a church that is unstoppable. And then finally, number three, we need to be a church that is mobilized. A church mobilized. See, the mobilized church, the active church, the church that's going out and doing all of the good, generous acts of service that Jesus is asking us to do and sharing the good news, the mobilized church is God's vessel of delivering hope to the world. That's how God works today, through the mobilized church, the active church. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news There are people that need you to have a mobilized faith. There are people that need you to preach the gospel. And you said, wait, I'm not the preacher. You're the preacher. 
No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not your preacher. I'm your pastor. There's a difference. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says this. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Listen to this. Their responsibility, the pastor's responsibility, is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. I'm not your preacher. I'm your pastor. You're the preacher. You're the one that God needs to use. He, he can use he's using me too. But no, don't neglect the fact that God's calling you to do it. God's calling you to have a mobilized faith. God's calling you to be the one that shares the gospel with people. The pastor can only do so much. My job is to equip you. My number one job that Jesus gave me is to equip you to be a mobilized church that goes out and spreads the gospel. You're the preachers. You're the ministers. Because you could be the only one in your circle that can reach those people that are in your circle. You could be the only one that can reach that one person for Christ. And here's the truth. There's going to be a day where you don't get to tell that coworker anymore. There's going to be a day when you've lost your chance. There's going to be a day when it's too late. And you can't share with your family anymore the importance of, of God and the priority that He should have in their life. This window of opportunity is closing every single day. And people need to hear what you know to be true about Jesus. Because there's going to be a day where you don't have that chance anymore. And what do you know to be true? You know the same statement that Peter, at, Peter said when he was asked by Jesus. He said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the promised one. You are the only one that can free the world from the powers of hell that enslave our lives. Jesus is it. He is the answer. And you know it. You know that to be true. In a church mobilized, it's going to deliver that, that truth exponentially to people. See, one of us can do so much, but ten of us. Jesus took 12 people and changed the world. Could you imagine what Summit View Church could do in this community? <clears throat> Based on that profession, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one that can free the world from its enslavement to sin and to death. Based on that profession, that is the rock on which Jesus promises to build his church. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.